your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. With the ball, Teddy Allen shoots an NBA three. Got it! Bang! A ring! Teddy Allen with a trio. And with 2.35 to go in the first half, Nebraska's up 32-29. to 29. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office, who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Tim Curran. And we're here on a snowy Tuesday night. Hope you've been safe out there today. Pretty big snowstorm through most of the state of Nebraska. Hope you're taking it easy on the roads. We want to have you for the new year. Welcome to the program. Big show coming up for you. Time, Mitch Sherman of The Athletic going to join us here in a few minutes. He penned a terrific piece, kind of projecting what he sees for 2021 in Husker football. We'll get his take on some of those prognostications a little bit later on in the hour. Hour number two, Jake Muehlheisen, who handles color commentary for the Huskers on the radio network, along with Kent Pavelka, will be here to talk about this Husker team that is now four and five and getting ready to play not one but two ranked teams this week, Ohio State tomorrow night, Michigan State on Saturday uh, for that game. So Jake will be here. We'll go beyond the headlines. Can't wait to see what the boys have cooked up for us tonight. And also in the second hour of the program, third hour, top 10 Tuesday, we're going to break down and lay out our top 10 Husker wins of 2020, a skinnier list than most years because of, well, no volleyball in the falls. We didn't have that to choose from and a reduced baseball softball seasons in the spring with those two programs only getting a couple of weekends in before it got shut down on them. So um, not as much to choose from, but we'll have fun. We'll get through that and pick that whole thing out. Uh, coming up in the third hour of the program. Fred Hoiberg had a press conference today before the Huskers left for Columbus, Ohio. We're at this time tomorrow night. They will be playing those Buckeyes. Uh, we'll hear some comments from the head coach. We did have him on last night uh, on, the, on the show for an hour with the men's basketball show, but he had some more additional comments that we'll get into coming up on the third hour of the show. And as always, as we as the Open says, it's your show, 531-500-4686. You can fire off a, a phone call or a text on our U.S. Cellular text line. Proud to be the official wireless sponsor of the Huskers, U.S. Cellular Connecting Husker Nation. So those are the numbers if you want to be a part of the program tonight. The Huskers, by the way, Tim, are in Columbus. They did get out of Lincoln today. Their flight took off about 4 o'clock. They landed about 30 minutes ago. I was in texting communication with uh, sports information guru Seamus McKnight, who did confirm that they have landed and they have boots on the ground in Columbus. So they are there and ready for tomorrow night's game. That's some that's some capital J journalism there, Greg. Uh, yeah, impressed yeah. with your uh, sleuthing skills. Now, I do not envy uh, the, the team uh, today having to, to hop on a flight, get over to Columbus, and you know, in a tiny regional airport. I'm sure they probably had to have a staff there working overtime trying to shovel all the snow and ice off that runway. Um, I didn't even venture outside today. Uh, I my my commute was uh, from my bedroom to you know the, my other room here. I, I'm glad I did not have to. Uh, it looked cold out there it was difficult yeah. getting out of bed today but uh, i've made the sacrifice don't worry husker nation uh, we're here to, to to bring all the latest to you so glad, one of glad the, to hear that 
One of our text questions for the coach last night was, are you worried about getting there? And we, we talked about <laughs> rough road trips that basketball teams have to make because basketball has to travel during these winter months where it is pretty scary. You know, a lot, a lot of these Big Ten schools, some of them, I shouldn't say a lot, some of them are in small communities. Columbus is not. It's the biggest metro area in the state of Ohio, so their airport's fine. But you go into Champaign or West Lafayette, the, uh, college, you know, State College where Penn State is, those are small towns. And so... Uh, so yeah, it's it's not great, but the, this one was fine, and the, this storm hasn't hit Columbus, so I think it hits there tomorrow. They may have trouble getting getting home, uh, but they got there, and they will be playing tomorrow night, 5.30 for tip, 4.30 for pregame coverage. Austin brought up that tonight a couple Big Ten games, Rutgers and Purdue are underway, and you know, you and I got into this a little bit last night, Tim, about we got to be patient with Coach Hoiberg. This is a rebuild project. He's he's entered the Big Ten at maybe the best time for Big Ten hoops because everybody's so good right now, nine teams that are ranked. And it made me think about Steve Peichel, Rutgers' head coach. I mean, he gets hired uh, at the end of the 16 season, so about four or five years ago. He's now in his fifth year at Rutgers. And you could tell pretty early on, man, if they keep this guy, they're going to be pretty good. And they have been patient. They have let him build the program up. And now they're a nationally ranked team. They were going to be in the NCAA tournament last year had the tournament not been canceled because of COVID. So they would have broken a long, long streak. I believe it's the early 90s for when Rutgers last made the NCAA basketball tournament. And here Steve Peichel comes to town, starts putting his thing. And I thought about the comparison to Fred Hoiberg. What, what's going on here, to me, can mirror a little bit of what Coach Peichel has done at Rutgers. And you were the one who pointed it out last night that you just have to have patience when you're trying to completely rebuild a program like Coach Hoiberg is here in Lincoln. Right. And, you know, it's all about and basketball is a little bit different than football. Football, you need broad swaths of players over multiple recruiting classes to kind of build that foundation. Whereas basketball, it might only take one or two guys. I mean, you look at Rutgers current roster. Uh, Geo Baker feels like he's been there forever. The senior yeah. uh, I, I, I don't think at New Hampshire, I believe. Um, also, uh, Ron Harper uh, Jr. looking like one of the best players in the Big Ten this year at a Don Bosco prep. So, um, you know, just those two guys alone add a tremendous tremendous amount and uh, I had the opportunity of course that I think it would have been actually earlier this year it feels like it was forever ago uh, going to the rack and seeing Nebraska play that game that that uh, Huskers came out just so short uh, they, they were this close this close to, to getting one uh, at the rack it was a dagger three-pointer that that Rutgers hit uh, late in the game that uh, that handed Nebraska the loss but um, you know like you said Greg Nebraska uh, right now and Fred Hoiberg said as much today, uh, just needs to work on some of the offensive efficiency, uh, moving the ball, getting better shots. Uh, but yeah, it, it is a rebuild. It's not going to happen. You don't snap your fingers and then, you know, everything is fixed in a, in a fortnight. It's going to take a little bit longer than that. And, uh, I think Rutgers is, is a good model. Um, you know, every team in the Big Ten, uh, virtually every team, uh, is, is ranked, uh, right now in the conference and, and they're playing well. I mean, right now, tonight, you're going to have, uh, Iowa and, uh, Northwestern square off. Well, the Wildcats, they're ranked, or rather, they're three and O. Um, and they, they are nationally ranked and so is Iowa. They're one of the best teams in the nation, got one of the best players uh, in the country and the Hawkeyes and Luke Garza. So um, th that's it, it's not going to come. It, the, uh, the, su the success is not going to be measured strictly in win losses. I know people are going to be upset hearing that because you want to see wins as a fan. Uh, having said that, uh, if you just it's just do the eye check. 
Uh, where was this team at at this time last year versus where is this team at now? I think it's already made tremendous strides, and it's only going to get better. Yeah, and you mentioned Geo Baker and Ron Harper Jr., and those guys, as you're right, both of them have been in the league for a while. He took them, built the program with freshmen, and took some lumps his first couple of seasons. But now in year five, they're reaping the benefits. They have a veteran team. They're up to 14th in the polls. They're legit. They're really, really good. And he does a great job. And so, you know, and, and Nebraska has some advantages over Rutgers. Our facilities are much better. You can attest to that. The rack is a dump. Um, so <laughs> our facilities are better, but they certainly have – the 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 big advantage of having so much population right around them where he can just kind of basically get in his car and drive an hour and a half in any direction and go grab players and and fill up his roster with where Fred Hoiberg can't do that here we have to go and find guys and bring them in so there there are advantages to each program but I was so impressed with him earlier, and I think a lot of people in our league are impressed with what they see Coach Hoiberg doing here. Let's just be patient, and I know you're right. It's tough for people to do that because they want to win, and they want to win now. Speaking of patience, and I, I gave Austin a project yesterday, Tim. Austin likes projects. He's kind of, you know, he's still in that <laughs> college mode where he likes to analytical. Yeah, and he is. He's a very analytical guy. I said, hey, you know, we're now through year three of the Scott Frost era. And Mike Riley had three years at Nebraska as well. And Mike Riley's overall record was better through three years than what Scott Frost's record has been here. But I wanted Austin to kind of do a deep dive. And I want Austin, I want you to jump in here on this. Because you put together a lot of kind of offense, defense, special teams comparisons. And one thing that really stood out to me as I looked through some of your notes was is that you can really see major improvement from the defense that Eric Chenander has had from year one to year two and year two to year three. It looks like that is where you can really hang a bit of a hat on what that defense has done the last couple of years. Oh, absolutely. You look at where it was in 2017, allowing 37.6 points per game in conference play, 440 yards last in the conference. Team ran for 245 yards last in the conference. The pass defense was okay, but that's really because teams didn't throw it much. They still completed 62% of their passes. When you look to where Nebraska is now in terms of rush defense, they're allowing just about 75 yards a game fewer than they were right before Whoa. the staff took over, which is a heck of an improvement. Total defense is they're up to about halfway in the league, and that's a heck of an improvement from where they were on the defensive side of the ball. Interceptions have gone down a little bit, but they're allowing fewer fewer touchdowns, and the yards per play has gone down. It was at 6.5 yards a play in 2017, at 5.5 yards per play this last year. Still improvement to be made, but a full yard in just a few years, that's market improvement. You know, and, and Eric Chenetter has been a lightning rod, really, the last couple of years. But you start looking at that, and you're going, okay, it did get better. What else stood out to you as you went through and poured through these numbers the last couple of days? It's been interesting looking on the offensive side of the ball, just how much Nebraska has shifted from a lot of passing to a lot of running. Back in 15 and 16, Nebraska still rushed for over 150 yards per game. In 2017, though, last in the league at 97 rushing yards a game. You look at what Scott Frost, Greg Austin, Ryan Held have done with that. Nebraska is ranked third in the league and second in the league the last Whoa. two years in rushing the football. Good running backs, good quarterback run game. The passing yardage has gone down. Nebraska under 200 yards per game, and the accuracy is down a little bit as well. But it really stood out to me that Nebraska completed 68% of its passes this year. 
that struck me as really high compared to what I would have thought it would have been. So once Nebraska gets that balance, I think it's pretty achievable for them to get both the rushing and the passing up over at least 200 yards a game, if not 225 and 200 per game. There's improvement there on the offensive side. We know Nebraska's missed some shots on the offensive end, especially in the passing game. But the running game is up there with Ohio State's and Wisconsin, who have been the real standard bears in the league. Yeah, that surprised me too. Second and third in the league in rushing the football the last two years. Guys, it's the turnovers, right? I mean, the turnovers is what's preventing this offense from scoring points. Right, and red zone efficiency as well. I mean, if you look at points per game, that's still remarkably low, um, yep. at least uh, especially for this year. And a lot of that is just simply Nebraska shoot themselves in the foot. You know, you get a holding penalty or a false start, stuff like that. That's just efficiency and, and mental mistakes. And if you can batten that down. Um, but as Austin was saying, the remarkable thing here is the uh, the offensive run game is a lot of that was done uh, without Dietrich Mills, without a traditional tailback back there, because a lot of it was coming off of design QB runs, you know, integrate. Luke McCaffrey in certain packages and, and kind of taken off. And part of that, too, was, you know, frankly, not having a, a massive kind of deep threat long ball game. Uh, having said that, I think that we've kind of painted more of a dire situation, um, at least in terms of a lot of people's minds, where the offense of that. But th- there's quite a bit uh, of improvement that has been made. And as always translated the points, we know that, and that's got to get better. But in terms of overall improvement, the numbers pretty much speak for themselves. Of the eight games this year that Nebraska played, five of the eight were decided by one score. Mm-hmm. Oh. That that jumped out at me, too. All the close games, and you guys know it. You guys sit there and deal with the colors on Big Red Reaction after the games <laughs> every week, right? It's basically a one-possession game. It's crazy how many one-possession games that this staff has coached in in three years here at Nebraska. 17 for both Scott Frost and Mike Riley, the exact same number of one-score games through three years. And In 2016, when Nebraska started out 7-0, they won the close games, beat Oregon by a field goal, Indiana by five, uh, lost to Wisconsin by six and then beat Minnesota by a touchdown. So Nebraska is playing in close games. And some of that, you know, is luck. They, they, those tend to even out over time. But some of that is, can you prevent one more turnover, one more penalty? Can you come up with one more sack or one more turnover on the defensive side? So Nebraska is getting close. It's frustrating to be in these close games, but I think that's another sign of progress as well, that you're there and you're competing at least. Yeah, in, our, in a big... Sorry, but big red reaction callers are always the most, you know, sane and rational people that call in. They're very analytically uh, driven. They're just always very calm and rational. I just wanted to get that in. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. Two. They went two and three this year in those one score games. And I mentioned turnovers earlier. And one of you mentioned the other thing too: special teams. Special teams and turnovers, to me, appear to be the biggest hiccups with this program right now. That has to be cleaned up, or you're going to have kind of the similar results where you're just not winning a lot of the close games. But And, Austin, you're right. The same number of close games in the Mike Riley first three years to Scott Frost, although Mike Riley, uh, we didn't have an on-conference this year. only played eight games compared to normally should be 12. So you have four fewer games. And then Mike Riley went to that bowl game against UCLA in his, his first year. So actually, he would, have, he would have five more games through his first three years than what Scott Frost did as well. So some fascinating numbers that Austin broke into. Appreciate, Austin, you jumping in and looking at that. And, um, yeah, I, I was not – I was – the, the improvement on defense, Tim, and the ability, and the fact that we're second and third in the conference the last two years rushing the football, those are two things that I think you build. You start to build from there. Joined now by Mitch Sherman of The Athletic. Mitch, great to have you with us. Happy holidays to you and your family. 
Thanks, Greg. Good to be with you, too. Happy holidays and uh, Happy New Year coming up here. Yeah, it's going to be a big one. Everybody's supposed to be uh, by themselves on New Year's Eve. Hopefully everybody be, is careful out there. I loved your piece that you put up earlier today on The Athletic about 10 predictions for 2021. Sounds like you've done this before. Yeah, I did it last year. Um, last year being my first full year with The Athletic. So I thought uh, had a, I got a good uh, reaction, good reception a year ago. So um, why not do it again? And, and if you can survive uh, 2020, with a few of the predictions intact, then uh, I'm thinking that I must have done something right. So looking forward to seeing if I can outdo myself in 2021. Yeah, you were better than 50-50, correct? You know, that's how I graded myself. I maybe was, was uh, lenient um, in, in some <laughs> of the grading, but I, I was impressed with my uh, with my um, prediction from a year ago that the linebackers would – rank as Nebraska's most improved uh, position group. I felt like that was maybe the best prediction that I had from, uh, from 2020, but really it's just, it's just uh, an opportunity to have some fun. Um, you know, it's been a long year, obviously this year more than, more than, than most. And it's the end of the year, time to look back, time to look forward. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to get uh, too in, in making these picks. It's not like, Hey, player X is going to leave the program or player Y or coach coach Y is going to leave the program. It's more um, some generalizations and then an opportunity to, to just kind of look at the, the college football landscape in general. And, and one of the, one of the fun ones um, or interesting ones uh, in looking at 2021 is, is just how big of a deal. I think the, um, the name image and likeness um revolution you call it that for student athletes is going to be in this next calendar year and with all that's happened in 2020 i think we've maybe not paid as much attention to that as we otherwise would have if this had been a normal year knowing that that is is likely about to get approved by the division one council and the ncaa presidents and and we're going to have players with uh sponsorships and uh and social media um, followings attached to, essentially to their bank accounts as soon as, as August of this next year. And, you know, I, I feel like that could be a factor, um, not just this year, but every year and in schools uh, around the country and in helping maybe if there's a really tough decision for a player to make about whether to come back as a senior or a fourth year junior, um, the opportunity to put a little bit of money in your pocket, it's not NFL money. It's not like going to the NFL and and getting drafted, but the opportunity to do that for a guy like Cam Taylor Britt, um, who does have a decision uh, to make, I I think could, um, you know, could be beneficial to the schools. Again, busy with Mitch Sherman of the athletic here on sports nightly. He uh, has penned a piece about, Top 10 predictions for Husker football for 2021. Mitch, I think the next month is going to be fascinating. You've got seniors who have the ability to come back if they choose to do so. Will there be staff changes? What about the transfer portal? All those things I think are going to be mixed in here in the next 30 days. What about the seniors and those returning? What's your gut tell you on, on that number? I don't think it's going to be a high number. You know, we've already seen four guys who have decided to move on. Um, and, you know, Colin Miller didn't really decide to move on. Um, obviously, it was an injury that ended his career. So um, aside from him, you have uh, Bo Wilson um, and Brennan Hymas. And then and then yesterday, uh, Jack Stoll made the announcement that he w- will not, he will, he's going to uh, make a bid at the NFL and not come back for a sixth season. 
everybody in the Nebraska program, all of the 14 remaining seniors and, and all of those guys that I mentioned with the exception of Hymas, um, have a redshirt in their college career. So they would be going into a sixth year of college if they opt to come back or in the case of Christian Gaylord, a seventh year. Um, and I think Christian Gaylord is, is, um, is going to move on. So um, a sixth year for, for, for all of the guys with remaining decisions um, that's a long time to be in college. And, you know, some of these players are 24 years old. Dedrick Mills is now 24 years old. Um, Deontay Williams is 24 years old. So I think it's easy as, um, as observers of the program or fans, media, watching this to, um, you know, to look at it from the perspective of, of only how another year in the program is going to help these guys. In a lot of cases they've graduated in, either they're ready to move on with their lives or – they know now is the best time to give professional football a shot if that's going to work. So I do think there will be some who come back. And I think there was a, a really good indication um, when he didn't go through senior day festivities um, on the day of the Minnesota game that Connor Culp, Nebraska's all-Big Ten kicker, is going to come back for another year. Um, I could see the Huskers' other grad transfer, Levi Falk, who has been in the program for one year coming back. And I think there'll be a few guys on the defensive side in particular. There are so many who were important to Nebraska as seniors this year and starting, starting roles. Um, some of those guys are going to move on. But I think from the group that includes DiCaprio Boodle, Markel Dismuke, I mentioned Williams, Ben Stilley, JoJo Doman, uh, Will Honus. I think the Huskers will get a couple of those guys back. I wouldn't expect it's going to be more than half or a real big number. But, um, you know, anybody who comes back and plays another year is is beneficial to this program and won't count against the 85-man scholarship limit. Connor Culp was such a huge addition, first-team all-conference, when the, when those picks came out a couple of weeks ago, did a great job for Nebraska making those field goals. Uh, had the big miss, obviously, against Minnesota, which is one that kind of sticks in everybody's crawl. But special teams as a whole, Mitch, has been has been very poor under Scott Frost in the three seasons here in Lincoln. What what do you think that that has to be addressed, doesn't it, in this offseason? Yeah, I wrote a little bit about that in the piece today and, and predicting that Nebraska would overhaul its special teams. Uh, in some way. And, you know, we'll see what happens with the, the coaching staff movement. You know, I don't see anything imminent right now where, you know, a guy is looking to leave or is Nebraska's ready to part ways with anybody on the staff. Um, but you get into January and even early February, and, and, you know, the odds just tell you that this kind of stuff happens. It was interesting in looking back as I did some research yesterday on this piece that it's been since 2013 that Nebraska has not had a move on its coaching staff after a season. And, of course, twice in those last seven or eight years, you've had head coaching changes. So, um, obviously, there's going to be movement in those two years. But even in the, in the, in the years um, with Bo Pelini and with Mike Riley and with Scott so far, um, all of those years since 13 that, where there wasn't a head coaching change have included assistant coaching moves. So it would stand to reason that that could happen again this year, although there is less movement this year on the coaching carousel, um, less that's happening, fewer coaches being fired around the country. So that, that's ultimately going to lead to fewer assistant coaches moving to um, whatever happens. Nebraska has to really look at, at what it's doing with special teams and, you know, whether it was um, enough to bring in Jonathan Rutledge as an, an analyst 
and put him in a position where he's somewhat limited in the way that he's able to interact with the players, um, not able to be out there on the field working with them on their special teams work in the same way that a linebacker's coach or a running back's coach would do. Um, I think special teams can be handled more in the office just because of the way that uh, you get those. It's more about personnel and uh, reviewing film. Um, the kickers, they kind of do their own thing. Um, you can have a, a graduate assistant, uh, as Nebraska has done in some past years, spend time with the punters and the kickers and, and really be okay. But, um, yeah, something I think is going to have to have to be different with the way they go about it. I know Nebraska has a big leg coming in, um, I believe, from Ord, Nebraska, as a walk-on, um, and that may shore up some things uh, on the um, – on the, the, in the area of kicking the ball through the end zone on kickoffs, which is going to help you, of course, on, on your coverage unit in that, in that department. So that would be a plus if, uh, if, if, if that works. But um, it, it, beyond that, yeah, they have to fix some things with their punt coverage. They, they were susceptible this year, as we saw in a couple of different games, to teams running fake punts against them. We saw the kickoff return for a touchdown by Aaron Kirkshank, which was – uh, second straight year that he's done that in, in different uniforms against Nebraska. So, yeah, some things are going to have to um, have to get shored up in that area for sure for Nebraska to uh, win those close games in the Big Ten. Right, and no threat at all in returning kickoffs. It was mainly a fair catch uh, thing for Nebraska every time the opponent uh-huh. kicked off to the Oscars. One last thing before I let you go, and again, we're visiting Mitch Sherman of The Athletic. The transfer portal has certainly become a daily part of college football lingo now. How active do you see the Huskers, and are there a couple of spots on this team that you think they may really identify as places they need to go try to pick up a, a veteran body? Well, I think that's where these senior decisions are going to be real important. And, you know, Dedrick Mills in particular – if he's back, then, you know, you're in good shape at running back. If he's not, you have a huge hole there. Um, of course, there are there are younger players at that position. We don't know about the health of Ronald Tompkins. I think that's a real concern uh, go, going forward. But the two true freshmen, uh, Savion Morrison, Marvin Scott, and then Ramir Johnson will be a third-year player in the program. You know, those guys are, are solid. They're going to contribute. Um, in, in particular, the two true freshmen, I don't think we got to see – at all what they have to offer in this program. They were shortchanged a bit, one, because of health reasons. And, you know, Scott uh, Frost mentioned that that Savion did deal with a a COVID issue this year, so he missed the required 21 days for that, and it really derailed his ability to get on track as a true freshman. At times, uh, Marvin Scott showed some things, but I do think if, if, if Mills is done at Nebraska, you'll see, you'll see the Huskers look, real hard um, at running backs in the transfer portal and then perhaps on the defensive side. But I think that's going to, that's going to depend in, in large part on those guys that we mentioned earlier who, were, who could come back as, as sixth year seniors. They, they filled so many important roles for Nebraska, especially in the secondary. So maybe if, um, if they lose, uh, if they, if, if they lose those guys, um, you'll see Nebraska in the market for a safety or a corner uh, in the transfer portal too. Great stuff. Mitch, we appreciate it. Again, Mitch Sherman of The Athletic, happy new year to you and your family, and we'll look forward to some some better days coming up here in 2021. All right, sounds good. Thanks. Same to you, Greg. We can confirm that the Oscars have landed in Columbus, so they're there. They got out of Lincoln today. Their flight left about 4 o'clock this afternoon. Normally, Jake Muehlheisen, Kent Pavelka would have been on that plane, but COVID has certainly changed a lot of different things, and but not all bad, right? You could spend another night at home. Hello, Jake Muehlheisen. How the heck are you? 
I'm doing great, Greg. How are you doing? Fantastic. Um, you, you you probably would rather be at the games on the road, but maybe getting off a plane at midnight or one a.m. It's cold. Getting in your car, it's cold. That, there's that, that's not that's not the the funnest part of the job, is it? On those late night returns. No, it, yeah, it's not. But it's you know, Ken and I have talked about it. We love going on the road trips and and uh, you know talking to the guys and being yeah. a part of the team, but. You know, one thing one thing we don't miss is like you mentioned, getting home at two or three in the morning on a long road trip, and and there's a foot of snow on your car or or something along those lines. So that that part I don't miss at all. Yeah, um, you know, we we've we've talked about it. We had Coach Hoiberg on last night for an hour, and I I made the comment that I think anybody who knows basketball sees improvement with this team from a year ago to today. How how do you view what you've seen from this team through nine games? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it, you, you watch this team, and, and I think they're, they're heads and tails better than the, the team we had last year. And I think the, the, the thing I like the most is we're, we're seeing improvement every game. I know we're, we're, we're not getting the results in the, in the win-loss column that we'd like, but we're seeing improvement. I think, I think this team uh, has proven they can be an elite defensive team when they're locked in and they're focused and they're really talking and communicating on the defensive end. So I think if they can – really keep that uh, that energy and that focus for 40 minutes on that end of the floor. I really think that that can improve things offensively. We had some guys, um, obviously, that, that hasn't shot the ball as well as they'd like. And, you know, Lad Mayan, Kobe Webster, uh, Thor, you know, those guys haven't shot it like they're capable of doing. But sometimes when you can turn some defense into offense, get some easy ones that can get you going on the offensive end. But uh, heads and tails better than last year. I just think uh, – we're really close to putting that full game together, and hopefully, hopefully that comes tomorrow night against Ohio State. Well, Jake, what do you make of the poor second halves? Yeah, I think I think some teams are making some adjustments, and we are too. And, and I'll use that Wisconsin game as an example. We play a really good first half, and uh, the, you know, and then Wisconsin goes on that fourteen zero run. But it wasn't it wasn't that we weren't getting good high quality shots. It was you know it comes down to simply making those shots in the offensive end. You you hear Coach Hoiberg after that game, and he was happy with the execution, um, getting guys in some good spots. We just weren't able to convert and knock down those shots, uh, you know, from the perimeter or even at the rim. And then you look at the Michigan game, um, and we just had some breakdowns defensively. I think Michigan started eight of ten in the second half, and it was just more of that defensive um, you know, concentration and focus that really let Michigan build that lead. And, and sometimes when we're not scoring offensively we let that impact our, our defensive energy and we can't do that. I think if we can just keep that focus and energy on the defensive end, that, that will hopefully translate into some easy ones, especially in transition on the offensive end where we don't have those second half spells and rely on some perimeter shooting. If those, if those shots aren't falling. Again, visiting with Jake Muehlheisen, color analyst here on the Husker Sports Network. He'll be on the call tomorrow night along with Ken Pavelka. Huskers taking on the Ohio state Buckeyes. Tell me about Delano Banton. What do you make of his game? You, you played a little bit of that position that he's playing now at Nebraska. What do you like about his game? I, I I love his pace of play. I think you know I think he could be a little bit more aggressive at times and really uh, try to try to force the issue a little bit. I'm not saying force the issue, you know, from a shooting or scoring standpoint. Just you know having the ball in his hands a lot of the time where. He can create so much, so many matchup problems uh, on the on the opposing team. Where if they put a, a, a one or two guard trying to defend him, he can he can post them up. And if they put a big, he can blow by him. And when he's making shots from the perimeter, 
Um, he's extremely dangerous. And what I like the most about him, he's he's shown the ability to find his open teammates when you when you don't think that he sees them. And there's a couple of times where he's gone came off some high pick and rolls and found a guy in the opposite wing or opposite corner. And he's just so so tall and long that he can see over the defense and find those spots. But I wish he'd be a little bit more aggressive and 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 trying to uh, have some more dribble penetration, you know, in the half court sets and and try to score himself, obviously, but um, find his teammates. But he's just a, a matchup nightmare uh, for opposing defenses. Can he be a pro? Do you think someday? I think so. I think so, Greg. I think I've always compared him. You know, I, I always called him a, a kind of a poor man's Kevin Durant. Um, you know, he's obviously not as tall as, as Durant, but if he can really develop a, a more consistent outside jumper, I mean, I think he can, I think he's a definite pro. Um, and he's, you know, he's, he's still learning the game. And, um, I think under coach Hoiberg and, and, and his staff, I think he'll just continue to get better, especially playing in Hoiberg's system. So I think, um, if he just keeps learning and working hard, I think he can definitely be a pro. Next week is the return or, or the, you'll be the first time you've seen him play and that's Derek Walker. Um, I know you've talked to some of the coaches about him. How big of an impact can he make on this team in your eyes? I I think I think he could really come in as that vocal leader. And in, in watching some of the practices and shoot arounds on road trips last year, uh, he, he's he's the guy that that that's always talking. Um, he's been on a winning program at Tennessee. I think that he can be a, a another physical force in the middle. Which obviously, watching all the Big Ten games, that you need a, a good a solid big guy and more depth uh, in the in the front court. So I think he'll add that, but I think he can be a really good vocal leader. You know, we talked about you know some of those some of those second half woes. I think he can come in and 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 be that vocal guy in the huddle and on the bench. And it's hard to do that when you're when you're not playing. So I think when he's in the fold and playing some minutes and 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 coming in and trying to contribute that way, I think he can also be a, a really solid leader for this team moving forward. Jake, I, I told Coach Hoiberg, I said, your timing's been lousy. You, you came into this league at maybe the apex for this conference. This is, thing's unbelievable, isn't it? Nine teams ranked right now. I mean, you played the Big 12 in some good eras of basketball. This, to me, seems like it's on another level how good this league is right now. It's 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 crazy if you think about it. you got nine teams in the top 25, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe two of them are, are Indiana and Purdue, so you if you'd have told me, you know, a few years back, they'd have nine teams ranked, and Indiana and Purdue weren't one of them. Yeah, I'd have been, I'd have looked at you sideways. But I mean, top to bottom, I mean, it's it is brutal, uh, and that's the thing is, uh, yeah, I've been talking to people, and they're like, "Was well, this team, you know, getting better every game?" I'm like, "They're definitely getting better." But when you're playing against Wisconsin, uh, you know, when you're playing against Michigan, then you have Ohio State. You're not, you don't have a chance uh, if you, to to really see the improvement because if you have a a three or four minute stretch where you're not playing well, those other teams make you pay. But uh, the, the league is as good as it's ever been. It's a ton of fun to watch. I was watching the Purdue Rutgers game, Rutgers game and doing, uh, right before this, and it's just a, a really high caliber league. It's physical as all get out. And I think Ohio State is probably the most physical team yeah. um, in the league, and, and we get them tomorrow night. So it'll be a, an interesting, uh, an interesting battle tomorrow night. Have you seen enough of Eduardo Andre to form an opinion yet? I mean, and, and the little time you've seen him out there, what what strikes you? I haven't yet, but I, I in watching him, you know, he obviously played a lot more minutes in that Doan game, and, I, and obviously Doan's a whole lot less caliber team than we were playing in the Big Ten. But I, I loved how he he moved on the floor, how he runs. He's he's agile for a big guy, you know, six ten, six eleven. 
uh, 7'4", 7'5", wingspan. I think he's got some big-time upside. And I just I think as he continues to, um, you know, get in shape, I know taking uh, basically three weeks off and, and being sick probably you know, cost him some conditioning. But I think he can contribute this year. And, and, and you know, watching the Big Ten and, and, the, and the depth that you need at that position, I think that he has uh, the ability to help this team out this year. But I think his upside – is huge. I haven't seen enough of him to, to to get a gauge if he can shoot that 10, 12, 15 footer. Um, but he's at the when he's at the free throw line, he's got good form, got good hands. But I love the way he moves, and he's he's going to keep getting better at the at his knowledge of the game and his feel for the game. So I'm excited to watch him watch him grow and and uh, and watch his staff work with him. Yeah, me too. Well, hey, I was uh, I was disappointed for you that you didn't get the Myrtle Beach trip this year because that was going to be a, a blast. I think you probably could have even taken your clubs and got a round or two in while you're down there. But uh, it's a it's a different year, right? I mean, this COVID has changed everything we're having to do. Yeah, it's 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 impacted everybody, and and you know, obviously the players and and coaches and all of us, and um, you know, just uh, and we're we're calling the games remotely, which is different, but um, it's worked out so far, and. I know Kent misses uh, seeing my smiling face in person. So, um, but it's just been a, it's been a unique year to say the least. I know everybody's looking forward uh, to turning the page on 2020 and, and looking forward to um, a lot better things in, in 21. And hopefully we can get fans in the arena sometime soon. I know, um, you know, I think a lot of the games that we were close in Nevada, Georgia Tech, and, and Michigan, you know, our home crowd could have helped a ton. Yeah. Um, so it's just it's just been an interesting year uh, to say the least. And and Hopefully we can get fans in before before the season's over. No doubt. Jake, we appreciate it. Have a great call tomorrow night. I, I'm looking forward to watching this team progress in the next couple of months. I'm with you. I think they're on the verge of really making making us all proud of what they're going to be doing. Thanks, Jake. Appreciate it. Yep. Yep. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. Tuesday night, sports only. Tomorrow night, we'll have Husker basketball on the airways as the Big Red travel to Columbus to take on the Ohio State Buckeyes before they left. Head coach Fred Hoiberg had a press gathering today where he was asked about trying to avoid those second half letdowns that have hurt this team the last couple of games. Yeah, it, it's it's very important, Robin, for confidence for a lot of reasons to go out there and be able to finish one of these games or even play a complete game. And, you know, we've had stretches, obviously, that have been very good with our games. But, you know, overall, when we have that four or five minute lapse against a ranked team in this league, uh, you're probably not going to win the game. And it's been different times in the second half. When you looked at the last one against Michigan, it was the first five minutes of the half where that thing went from a one-point game to a 12-point game and it takes a lot of energy digging out of that hole to climb back in the game we did it we cut that thing back to three or four points and then they went on another run and essentially ended it so you know you can't come out of the locker room and give them six straight baskets and eight out of ten to start it and then that's when you're not getting stops you're taking the ball out of the net you don't have the same pace and our execution wasn't very good so you know that's where you have to find a way to continue the trust with each other and the things that are working early in the game and why we're right there and you know again I you just try to get as many reps as you possibly can in practice and you watch film on it and what's working and what are the things we need to work on and get better. Uh, we have we have had two good days of work 
uh, heading into the game tomorrow night. This will be the most physical team that we've played against all year. They, they battle you. They, they uh, fight you through. They pressure. Uh, they're going to war through screens. So we have to handle that. That will be a new uh, experience as far as being on the floor against this type of physicality. Uh, but it is very important, Robin, to answer your initial question, to be able to finish one of these games off, to know you can do it, to give you the confidence. Uh, you look at Northwestern, the three close games that they have won in league. That's a confidence thing. So, you know, it, it, it's important for us to continue to try to go out there and build the right habits and do the right things and trust each other and hopefully get ourselves over the hump. Been tough because they've been in so many games at half, Creighton, Wisconsin, Michigan, and then to not be able to do it. you got to play 40 minutes, though, when you're playing these really good teams. Yeah, you know, this has kind of been the story of uh, not just, I think I mentioned this last night, not just Nebraska basketball, but Nebraska football. It's about putting two halves together, uh, complete 40 minutes. And uh, as Coach Horberg mentioned, you know, that that confidence is going to come. You only need one, and that just starts to snowball. It's kind of like making good decisions. You make one good decision. Uh, chances are you're going to make another one. Um, and, you know, just and, and I think Coach Horberg gets in this later, but also uh, just looking for more efficient shots, sharing the ball more, all of that is going to to help as this team gels more and again you know I, people are tired of hearing it but it is still technically a rebuild you know you're starting uh not totally from scratch but you have a lot of new fresh faces on this team and i'm uh, gonna add another one soon in Derek walker um so that's another uh, kind of notch in uh, coach hoiberg's uh, quiver uh there so um you know look it, it's gonna come eventually and uh you know i think nebraska actually does stand a pretty decent chance on wednesday uh to, to try and knock off the buckeyes it'll be tough uh, but again, I think that they're slowly starting to piece things together and a little bit of confidence will go a long way. Last night here on his men's weekly radio show, the coach alluded to having a team meeting that he felt like was really productive for, for him and the, the guys. He expounded on that today. Yeah, we, we had a couple. We met collectively as a group and you know sat in a room. I thought that was a very important thing to do after that Michigan loss and some of the things that I saw, some of the things that I talked to the team about things that I need to do better and listen to each of them. And they were, to be honest with you, more talkative than they thought that they were going to be. You know, generally when you go sit in those meetings where it's just the coach and the, and the players, the coach does most of the talking. But, you know, the guys spoke up and, and it was a good uh, meeting as a group. And then we had individual meetings uh, as well. Sometimes if you are not comfortable speaking up in a group, you'll say something in, in an individual meeting. So we learned a lot. It, it was uh, good, productive. Uh, and I thought we had a couple good energetic days of practice. Now the challenge is going out there and battling through adversity. You know, you see the teams right now that are bringing energy uh, from all over the bench, whatever it is, without any type of crowd to help you through the tough stretches. You know, you looked at last night. I thought, you know, the energy that Maryland brought to the game at Wisconsin was phenomenal. Minnesota was the same way. And uh, it was the same with Michigan at the beginning of the second half. They had all the energy, uh, and a lot of it was on their bench. So, you know, those are things that everybody collectively has to do better uh, if we all are on the same page and have one common goal of winning. And, you know, it's, it, it was, though. To answer your question, Sam, the, per, the meetings that we had the last two days have been very productive. Now, it can't just be lip service. You have to go out and act on what you talk about uh, and carry that over when the game begins. It can't just be a practice thing. And obviously the importance of doing it during a game uh, is what it's all about. Talked about seeing Maryland's energy last night in their road upset victory at Wisconsin. He talked about his own team's energy and what he's seen here lately. 
it still needs to happen. And when things are going well, it does happen. And, you know, you see guys over there jumping around and waving the towel. And when the times get tough, it's, it's easy to lead when things are going well. Anybody can do it. You know, the challenge is how do you handle the adversity? And until you get out there in the game, you really don't know. Uh, you know, how your players that are in the rotation that play a lot, the most minutes, how they handle it, how the guys that maybe aren't playing as much, how they handle it. Uh, but collectively as, a, collectively as a group, we have to be better in bringing that energy every time we step on the floor. Tim, when I watch him, I don't know that I see drooped shoulders or the lack of trying. I don't know that I get that when I watch this team. Do you? No, I, th- I think the body language uh, has been good overall for this team. And again, I as I, I think it was Teddy Allen that mentioned this earlier today, it's not that this team is, you know, overtly selfish and, you know, out, out for themselves like they're a bunch of mercenaries. I think it's just they need to find a way to gel a little bit more. And, and even last year, we kind of got beaten to death with all the talk about chemistry and how important that is and fostering the team. But again, you have a very, very new roster this year as well. I think those same things apply. I think this 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 roster has a lot more talent and uh, the coaching staff has a little bit more experience with the situation in their belt as well. So that helps out a little bit. Um, um, you know, and this this team is 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 super close. Um, and, and part part of part of the energy as well is is not having any you know fans in the arena. That's going to take a little bit out of it. But hey, you're going on the road. Uh, Ohio State doesn't have any fans cheering them on, so that's kind of a level playing field there. So, um, you know, I, I don't think it's a a, a massive issue. Uh, I think the biggest thing is just finding efficient shots and make sure they're sharing the ball. Um, but they'll, they'll get it figured out. They, they they're very close. This conference is unforgiving. The coach was asked about having to open with four straight ranked teams in league play. The league is it's better than it's ever been, and the numbers prove that. You know, it's one of the best all time when you look at the analytic numbers. Uh, I think it's the third best analytic number conference of all time. And for the first time in the history of the school, we are opening up with four straight ranked opponents. Uh, you know, so listen, part of it, we're playing really good stretches against really good teams. And when they're going on their runs, uh, we're playing against teams that have great experience. You saw a stat the other day with Wisconsin. Their starting five is older than the Chicago Bulls starting five. You know, those guys have been together. They've been through those battles and they've, you know, obviously handled it very well. And, you know, you look at uh, you know, the game against Michigan, they have some continuity. Now, they've got a couple younger players that have stepped in and have played phenomenal basketball as well. But they've got guys that have, are tested in this league. And a lot of it, you know, we're still figuring each other out. You can't use that as an excuse all year. But it, it is reality. And, you know, it's, it's going to be how it is all year. And you, you see who I thought the best team in the league to this point, Wisconsin. You see a team like Maryland go in and win that one. So, you know, it's you know that 17 games we have left or 18 18 games we have left it's going to be a battle and you got to play consistently well for 40 uh, for 40 minutes and you have to uh, find a way to battle through the tough times and that's what we haven't done and those are the stretches that have cost us ball games to this point so the huskers and the buckeyes tomorrow night 5 30 tip 4 30 for pregame coverage here on the network with kemp pavelka and jake muehlheisen well, Happy New Year to everyone. This is our final show of 2020. Back on Monday, tomorrow night, Husker basketball best of shows on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Thanks to Tim, to Austin, to Mick, and to all of you for listening tonight. Have yourself a safe and happy new year. Talk to you again on Monday. Good night.